Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra wild after-party edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast that's the audio equivalent of a cheese grate full of dad jokes. And speaking of grateful, thank you so much for listening. That's like really good of you. I'm Aaron and I'm joined as usual by the metal man who thinks he like so edgy and tough, but really he's the tin man after getting his heart. From all the way over the other side of the rainbow, he's Evan the Tin Man. How you doing? <laughs> tin Man. But if you are the Tin Man, that must make me Dorothy because I'm the main bitch. <laughs> Anyways, guess what? What? It's my birthday today. Oh. So this wicked bitch of the West is blessed with the gift of the presence of a fully wicked diva of the best kind, which is seriously sweet since his scintillating stage superstar shot to stardom as the slick, sassy and swinging single socialite Queenie in the non-blackface version Phew, of today's chosen particle. Shout out to Andrew Lipper, rendering revelers royally regaled with her roof-raising ripper rendition of the rip-roaring Raise the Roof, and rightfully ripping open such rhythmic rainbows leaves room for a remarkable roster of roles that remain a relished reminder of her radical range, like remember when this radiant rose rose up and saved baby Lennon from the Man of La Mancha, bringing a touch of a class act between the lines and drawing the late-night comic, The Queen of the Mist, and the first lady sweetly closer than ever. And while so close, but far, far away, audiences across America have shrieked for her in Shrek, Chess, Hair, Pippin, Avita, Tommy, Gypsy, Susical, Mamma Mia, that's a lot of single word titles, and Travelling, which helps when Journey is literally in one's name. So I'm not waiting, plug, any longer to pepper a spicy but sweet g'day, nor say a thousand beautiful things about this truly tender, totally transformative and tremendously talented token fixture of nearly every Broadway concert and concept recording in the past 20 years, including Funny Girl, Monster Songs, Children of Eden, The Little Princess, plus numerous solo and tribute shows. The amount of times this icon has thrilled audiences is almost criminal. So it was no surprise to see this fierce knockout catch the ire of the laws and orders, having been accosted, caught, to court, or a corpse in L and O and S and V and U and C and I and N and Y and P and D and Blue and Elementary. Oh dear, but what's on the tally only helped to steal the limelight when she took on the titular witch in the universal smash it wicked and as the very first alpha bar to fly into our torture chamber, This makes her the alpha bar none. So please defy gravity and rise up out of your bubble because we're joined by actress, singer, dancer, recording artist and Puppy Pepper's mama, whom John Travolta knows as Judella Merzim because she's the iconic Lady Julia Murdy. Welcome to the Torture Chamber. How are you going? Well, how are you going, gentlemen? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Aaron, I think it is safe to say I will never, ever get an intro like that. Again, that was extraordinary. <laughs> Truly. That's what he does. Thank you very much. One of these days, a guest is going to come along and say, look, that was too much. I'm sorry. I'm I'm uncomfortable. I have to go now. And they're going to leave the room. I'm, I'm waiting for that. I need to put this puppy out because she is eating me alive right now. She is a she's a little a little nipper, isn't she? Look at she her. Is. She is four and a half months old now. So oh, she needs attention. She does, but also we. We are on a time limit. So this one. I love your whole area of the world. 
It is it's beautiful. And look, I've been to Hawaii. That's as far as I've been. So I've not yet been to New York. So I can't return the favor yet. But Hawaii was beautiful. It is beautiful. New York is very far. Yep. Yeah, very far. So yes. it's okay. I think it's going to be very, very different to Melbourne, which is pretty chilled out. So anyways, now I'm sure you've been asked a thousand questions having played Alphaba. You're a, a rock star to a lot of young girls out there or they're now grown up girls, I'm sure. Um, it's <laughs> been are. on for how many decades? Goodness me. Um, so if we do ask anything cliche, you may answer with, I plead the filth <laughs> because you are American and this is a wild party episode and we will move on to something different. And I'm not allowed to listen to Wicked yet. So You're not allowed to listen to Wicked yet because we will get to that eventually. But anyways, how are you going and how is little Pepper? I, I'm going well. It's, um, it's a spring is trying to bust its way out here in New York City, which is, thank goodness, also makes little Pepper happy as well. She's, she's a bit of a princess. It was raining this morning and she won't go out when it's raining. Oh, really? I mean, I will, I will fully put on my jacket, my shoes, my everything, and we'll walk downstairs and I open the door. And the second she realizes it's wet, she just turns on her little heel and goes right back inside. I'm like, okay. But yeah, it's a, it's a pretty day here. So that's, I'm grateful for that. And um, yeah, yeah. Just waiting for the weather to turn over and, you know, <laughs> hopefully for variant number 27 to not come and <laughs> plague our house but who knows i don't know at this point yeah we're planning a wedding for the next couple of days and just you know fingers crossed that there's no not well not many you know positives yeah yeah we're, we've already had one guest drop out because they can't come you know for, for bloody close contact or something so oh man yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot but i know one thing that has helped many people during this time is music yeah which is why we are here mm. yes it is uh, thank you very much for the segue i like that segue i do i like it when people <laughs> do my job for me yeah i'll do it for you evan <laughs> all right now so second question if you were a rock star and could have your fantasy dream rider what crazy things would you put in there and i want i want a menagerie i want fireworks i want extravagance i would always want several well-behaved dogs um always for sure gosh crazy extravagant things i mean you could do those insane things like i want cream colored peonies but not white ones don't bring me white ones or you're all fired <laughs> i did see a bride actually have a complete meltdown once at her wedding because the flowers arrived and they were i don't know they were white and not cream and I, I've, I've never seen a total meltdown like that. But then and wow. I was kind of like, oh, my friend, it's okay. But then I thought, you know what? She's paid an awful lot of money for these flowers. They, I suppose they should be what she asked for. Mm. I don't know. It's okay. She's divorced now anyway. So, you know, that worked out well. Uh <laughs> well, maybe if the dogs were the right color. Exactly. If everything was correct. But yeah, I don't know what other things I'd have in my writer. Dogs. I want dogs. No, that's that's the right answer. Still not a goat, but we may eventually. Actually, no, we we moved on from a goat because a goat requires grass. Yeah, I mean, I suppose like a baby goat. I've never done. Have you heard of the uh, the goat yoga? Have you heard of that? No. Or it's a it's a thing. It's an actual thing, you guys. You can Google it and see it. Where you do yoga, and there are baby goats 
And while you're doing like, I don't know, a downward, I've never done it, a downward dog or a plank or something, the goats will sometimes just hop up on your back or put their face in your face. I don't think it serves any purpose beyond, oh, there's a baby goat in my face. I don't, I think it's, there's no like physical um, positivity to it, except your heart. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't think you'd want adult goats because, you know, we had goats in New Zealand and they've got attitudes. They really do. So there you go. The babies don't know yet. So never yeah. heard of baby goat yoga, but I know that I do look like a goat when I try to do yoga. So does that count? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it's all, it's all good. I would also, this isn't crazy, but I would definitely have peanut butter M&Ms yeah. in my dressing room at all times. That's the, that's the snack. I only allow myself to have it if I'm flying, if yep. I'm going on a flight somewhere and I, The first time I flew during this whole pandemic situation, I tried to see if I could just put some inside my mask, (laughs) like just to have at all. It didn't work out well. (laughs) It wasn't feedback situation. Yeah, it was an interesting idea that did not fully realize itself. So, oh, well, (laughs) look, I've said it before on this show. Boredom is the mother of invention. Indeed. And there we have the proof right there. But anyway, so we'll move on to metal. Speaking of boredom, now, do you have any experience as a teenage headbanger? <laughs> I, I do not. I will say nope. that one of my <laughs> dear friends who I, I grew up in New York City, but my parents had a house about an hour and a half outside of the city and she lived up there. So she was my friend up there and I hung out with her and all of her friends on the weekends. Evan, I don't know if this is considered metal, but they were very into Ozzy, Rush, is that metal or is that just hard, oh, hell yeah. hard rock? Like, is there a... No, Ozzy Osbourne, he's the, he's the Prince of Darkness. He's, he's the king. Jeez. Okay, yeah. okay. Hey, so, so, Evan, the way I show you talk to my guest, it's like, jeez. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, so I, I, I definitely, I probably would not have been exposed to that music. Yep. But I was because of them. And, and I remember very clearly when Randy Rhodes died. Yeah. And all of them reacting so deeply to it i remember that very very much i think he was only 22 23 he was was a yeah yeah and he was like their hero he was a legend he was he was an up-and-coming you know guitar great and just taken i think how he died was it plane crash yes yes i believe so it was plane crash i believe so yeah and i will say the 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 only other um metal i ever even flirted with would be when a friend of mine won well, you know, when radio stations, well, back in the day, anyway, used to, when there were radio stations, they would have contests for, to win tickets to, to a concert. Yep. And my friend, Mike was obsessed with Billy Joel. The radio was on one day and he wasn't paying full attention. And there was a contest and he ran to the phone and he dialed and he won, but they were not tickets to Billy Joel. They were tickets to Bon Jovi. <laughs> and then he was like, who am I going to take to Bon Jovi? Oh, I'll take Julia. And I went and the opener for Bon Jovi was Rat. Oh, wow. Yes. I have no idea who that is. Rat is spelled with two T's, Aaron, just so you know. And I'm guessing it was mid to late 80s, full on high hair, all of it. Which is a segue to Tawny Katan because she was married to the guitarist of Rat. She was? Yep. And, and before David Cloverdale. Okay. Because I was like, wait, she was with the lead singer of Whitesnake, right? Actually, I don't know if she was married to him, but yeah, she was dating him. Yeah. Okay. Before, okay. Before Whitesnake. Yeah. 
So basically what we're realizing is that all roads leads to Tawny Katane. Yeah, pretty much. That's fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> fine with that. Look, she was, you know, Aaron, I, I understand that you perhaps don't know what we're speaking of. I can't believe that I can actually have a conversation about both of these things. I've surprised my guests when they come on this show and think that I'm young, but then I'll pull out like an Eddie Haskell reference or okay. know that Buddy Holly was 22 when he died as well, which I was going to jump in with before that age is nothing. But I have no idea who she is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Tawny Katane, I-, I think she passed. Am I right? Yeah, last year. Yeah, sadly, like way too young, way, way too young. She was a video vixen. I don't know what you would call her. She was in a bunch of videos. Mm. She was so sexy. She had this mane of red, red hair. And in the Here I Go Again video, which is White Snake, mm-hmm. she definitely does a but a bit of a bump and grind dance on the hood of a car that became very ingrained, certainly in my young brain when I saw it, because I was like, is that what I'm supposed to be like? Yeah. Is that what boys want? Am I supposed to be sexy like that? I don't think I can be <laughs> sexy. Like, like she was one of those women who just, if she was probably at the market buying produce, she was sexy. Yeah. You know, she that's just, but yeah, she she was the hot ticket. Yeah, she graced many um, album covers as well. Certainly rap album covers. It was a, she was on two of them. She was actually doing cartwheels on on the the hood of like two Jaguars. Yeah, was it a Jaguar? Yeah, they were Jags. It was that was actually David Coverdale's car. Oh, his his actual car, really? That was his car. Yeah, there, there's a story where they where they met and they went on a date and he was wearing the blue suit that he was in in the, the video and that's his car. And yeah, they went out for a date and the car broke down. It was a disaster, really. <laughs> Do you think? I wonder if she did cartwheels on the car during the date. <laughs> We'll never know. Yeah. We'll never know. Yeah, it was funny because she had no idea he was a, a you know singer in a band or anything at the time and, and was just sort of having this disastrous date going, oh, this is not going to work. Huh. And, and she, while dating, you know, previously just dating, you know, a guy in a rock band and trying to get away from those kind of guys. <laughs> I have no idea. Sorry. But yeah, she became the quintessential sort of music video, yeah. rock video girl. Yeah. And, and so many other videos tried to emulate her. And yeah, she's iconic just for that. She actually, I think she got inducted into the, the Hall of Fame for services to music something like that really yeah it was huh. she got an award for something just for being in those videos oh good on her i'd give her an award just for looking like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why not 59 she died wow yep. so yeah. yeah it was very sad yeah it's officially heart disease but then they list all the chemicals that were in her body as well and, and oh I, really I, yeah i was oh look, i didn't know that a lot of them were antidepressants and then cut in some painkillers yeah there was pain, antidepressants mm. painkillers you know some paracetamol and and uh, there was an opioid in there. Fame is so incredibly taxing on anyone in the spotlight, really. I cannot imagine. I mean, I'm in the tiniest of spotlights, the tiniest. And sometimes it feels a, a little much. And to think yeah. of anyone exponentially, I mean, I understand in a weird sort of conceptual way why rock stars become drug addicts. Mm. Because I've done concerts you know, you get to, if, if it happens to be the cut, like, for example, if I do a symphony concert and you spend all day, you rehearse with this symphony, you've got these 80 piece orchestra behind you and all of the energy is coming at you. And then the audience is there for you. And then afterwards, if you sign CDs or pictures or whatever, it's all coming at you and it's all coming at you. And yeah, just noise. And then you go back to a hotel room and when that door shuts, 
even though you might be like, whew, I'm tired. Let me lie down. It's suddenly very quiet. And that's just me singing show tunes with a symphony. What is it like to be a rock star in an arena in front of 20,000 people? And it's go, go, go. Yeah. And the amount of adrenaline and energy that it takes to get yourself up to perform at this level for people and then to try and live a normal life. Yeah. And you'd be surrounded by it too, you know, touring, touring in a band with all the roadies and the crew and gear. Yeah. There'd be, you know, there's always someone smoking something, you know, it's always around. Well, and of course, like, what's the, the only thing, like, what's going to help you replicate? It's a high being on stage. Yeah. That is a high. So how do you replicate it or how do you manage when you're not in that high? And if you're not happy with yourself or grounded in yourself or whatever it is, that's what's going to happen. You know, you're just going to be like, I'm going to take that or drink that or snort that. And that's going to let me feel that good feeling. That's what you think anyway. That's it. And then there's also the pressure of when a band or a singer comes out with a massive hit and creatively they might have peaked, but then there's that time afterwards, that expectation, the pressure to what's next, what are they going to do next? And you see a lot of people spiral after that initial, you know, so it's probably best to have a build up over time and, and warm yourself into it more so than just explode. There was a time when I, when I was younger, when I probably would have looked at things like, I don't know if White Snake does any of these kinds of things, but you know, they have like, now they have like cruises, like metal cruises yep. and like your favorite 80s metals bands are on those cruise or whatever. Yep. And when I was younger, there might've been a time where I was like, oh, that's so sad that that's what they're doing. And now I'm like, no, they're just trying to make a living. Yeah. Mm. Not everyone is the Rolling Stones. As a matter of fact, no one is the Rolling Stones <laughs> except for the Rolling Stones. <laughs> you know, like you can't fill arenas your whole life long. And if that's what they do, you're a musician. It doesn't matter what kind of a musician you are. You're an artist. Yeah, not only that, but an audience does not get free alcohol at a stadium. Thank you very much. There is nothing wrong with cruises. Not all of them are filled with old people. Oh, nothing's wrong with cruises. Nothing's, you know, it's all. I'm saying that to the audience out there who who would think that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've, I've been on several. Yeah. Oh, awesome. But just the notion of... Um, you hit and you hit really big. That's almost more danger than hitting somewhere in the middle and then being able to coast. Like, what do you do when you're white snake? And for a while, your songs are on in everyone's mouth. Yeah. And then I don't know how many albums they ended up making. I don't know if they're still together or anything like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Still going. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you, you keep yeah. going because that's what you do. But yeah, that's, that's certainly what happened with, uh, with this week's chosen album, uh, the self-titled White Snake, yeah. What is it? 1987 again. I think we're in the 80s again. Yes. All the best music. I'm sorry, it was in the 80s. Yeah, White Snake's just killer. Huge album, self-titled, just full of rock anthems. I, I don't see how you can dislike this. How hey, you're going to sit here and go, oh, I've never heard of this. Don't count me out yet, mate. I might have loved it. Thank you very much. I've surprised you a lot lately. When I first saw the cover, I couldn't be bothered writing a joke, but then I saw the length of this eponymous white snake effort and realized this CD is an anaconda at 400 minutes long. Boo, hiss. But will the daunting length tip the scales? Will Aaron enjoy another band he's never heard? And will Lassie save Timmy from the well? So I pressed play on the spotted tiff to find out and was instantly disappointed to find the first track crying in the rain. 
was in fact not the Everly Brothers song of the same name. And while both songs are mid-tempo, White Snake's attempt didn't seem to have any hook beyond brooding. The interval contained a dramatic cascade which was relatable, if anyone who knows me, but apart from repeating the song title, the fact that this five and a half minute song required an intermission just highlights how long this song is. Bad Boys sadly wasn't the inner circle song of the same name. That's racist. (laughs) Overall, this sophomore song was harder, faster and stronger than its forefather, which is exactly what one wants from a bad boy. As the third track began, I myself began to become dismayed at the selection of song titles. Still of the Night, The Five Satins, Here I Go Again, OK Go, Give Me All Your Love, Madonna and Nicki Minaj, Is This Love, Bob Marley? How disappointing. But I shouldn't judge a song by its title. That's what covers are for. (laughs) But overall, this 87 hit felt laboured, drawn out. I was left feeling restless from the length, not antsy from the sleaze, because whilst it had its sleazy moments, it felt pretty cold-blooded to me. Oh, I get the band name now. Two stars. Yeah, I... Sorry. (laughs) I... I... no, No experience with White Snake before. One song is on an ad. Well, here I go again, probably. Probably, yeah, that one. Isn't that on an ad in Australia? Like a beer ad or something? It's probably been used many times. I didn't I didn't look into the commercial use of it. I'm sure it was I'm sure it's been used many times. Yeah, but when you've got so many songs that are named after better songs, but then what you're dishing up to me is not original in compared to what I've heard so far. Look at what I've gotten excited about. I got excited about Tool. Who ever saw that coming? But they were so original and unique. Faith No More, I got excited about them. Again, there was just a uniqueness to them. I didn't hear that in this band, or at least in this album. If it's their first album, then okay. No. So to have these familiar song titles and such familiar sounds, but without familiarity of knowing the songs. I think you're kind of picking up on, this is actually the sixth album that were formed in 78. Oh, then they were bored by then. That's why. I say they, it's really just David. David Coverdale is, he's the driving force. He's the only, the only member who stayed the whole way through. They've actually had 40 different band members over the years. Wow. They change constantly. So yeah, this is the sixth album. What it started in the UK. And they were very bluesy, you know, kind of a blues rock type band, very heavily blues influenced. And they were getting a little bit of airplay in the US, but really bugger all. And he wanted to really break into the US market. So, you know, moved to America, signed with Geffen, and they sat down and went, right, let's make an album that will appeal to the US market. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're hearing is, is, yeah, it is kind of heavily produced and made because we want some hits. Beige. It's beige. It's as beige as that cover. Sorry, what? It was beige, the whole album. I just didn't feel... <laughs> okay, yeah. Do you know what song I kept hearing? Come on, feel the noise. And I can't even tell you what band that was. We did that how many weeks ago? How many months ago? Twisted Sister, which which again, a link, the guy who did the video for, for Here I Go Again also did Twisted Sister's videos. Isn't Come On, Feel the Noise, Quiet Riot? Oh, yes, it is too. You've got Quiet to Riot. Yeah, it is. Who was that episode? Because Twisted Sister was David Zippel, Quiet Riot. Oh, I can't remember. David Zippel had Twisted Sister. That's amazing. Now you've got me mixing up Twisted Sister and Quiet Riot. Wait, but Aaron, I- I'm just curious. So there was no time 
listening to any of those songs that you didn't find yourself just given a little head bop to little like feeling the rhythm feeling no, the- I didn't <sighs> huh maybe was it bad boys it was a bit rockier I mean here I go again it is uh, to me also I will say that song was introduced to me in the video you know what I mean like that I, I didn't have the album of white snake but I knew what songs they released as singles and that they put out as videos. And it was such videos were so important to mm. music at that juncture for better or worse. That was just what it was. And a band like Whitesnake, you know, they were good looking and had all that hair. So even if it wasn't my kind of music, I was kind of like, what's happening? Wait, what's that guy? What is he? What's he doing? <laughs> and then inside the video, then they've got Tawny Katane, who I'm like, I think that she's the ideal that I'm supposed to match up to. <laughs> and so I guess I hear like that song, for example, and I am very flooded with lovely nostalgia for a time. But I also like I can hear it and I can hear that song in my head right now and I can pop my head back and forth. Like, yeah, you, yeah. And yeah. nothing, Aaron, huh? Nothing. nothing. No, I'm still hearing Come On, Feel The Noise. <laughs> <laughs> That's a totally different band. Totally different song. But no, Here I Go Again was it's just one of the greatest rock anthems of the 80s. It was it was just yeah. massive. You know, the, they sold something. I, I found discrepancies. You know, some reports say 8 million albums. Another one says 12. The record company guys say 20, but you know, they were, it went gangbusters. And as you said, with the music videos, without a music video, you were just going to get nowhere. If MTV weren't going to play you, that's it. Oh, yeah. You're not going to get on. This is a different genre of music, but like you could watch the crossover to where when like Duran Duran became, I mean, they were pretty men. Those men were, you know, just pretty. And coming out, like coming into the video era, a band like Journey, for example, were, let's just say, not as pretty as Duran Duran. <laughs> they were, they were not as made for the, the, but they, they had to do it. They had to give it the try because. That was it. That was the only option. Yeah. No, look, I, I don't know. Cause usually I love this genre with hair, glam metal, sleazy type music. I guess this just, maybe this is why <laughs> we didn't listen to it in this house. Like maybe my brother and sister, because. I couldn't just... even appreciate the voice. I mean, his voice is just incredible. Well, <laughs> will you make me a promise? Yes. Will you watch the here I go again video yes, when, after we sign off? Yes, I will. I just want to know that you experienced it and I'm sure I've now oversold it and you're going to be like, what was she talking about? No, I will. And I'll put it on the end as an Easter egg. So when the, the end theme plays, it'll come up because <laughs> quite often I put little Easter eggs at the end there, which is usually Evan embarrassing himself with something. <laughs> um, but yes, no, I, I'm sorry. This was just, I guess, because I mean, in, in this game that we're, we're doing, there is a lot of comparison to the ones that came before it. That's sort of just natural to the game. And it is hard to wipe the slate clean every time because I'm supposed to be learning. I'm supposed to be seeping in the information and the music and the styles and all that jazz. So maybe it is just a matter of I've become too familiar with this sector of hair metal. Wait, so Aaron, what bands have stood out to you? What, what, where, where has your, your flavor gone to of what in, in this series? Faith No More got five stars. Oh, okay. Okay. System of a Down, the last time we did that, got a pretty good score. Ramstein, because 
who can say no to Alison Frazier when she's sitting there <laughs> telling you about her favorite band. Oh, she's <laughs> no. a huge fanboy. Yeah. Massive fangirl of, of Rammstein. I, but I actually quite like them because they're sort of fairy tale-ish. Uh-huh. There was a, a punk band that Kirk Thatcher. I mean, Rammstein with... almost flirts with like Spinal Tap. Yeah. If Rammstein like <laughs> took two leaps to the right, it, it could be Spinal Tap. Yeah. If, I, I think if Rammstein went for comedy. Yeah. Yes. I don't mean that yeah. as an insult. I just mean like. No. like That's fine. Yeah. You're closer to Allison than we are, Julia. <laughs> so if you want to badmouth Rammstein, that's up to you. I don't dare. No. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I, I quite, I think Lindemann's weird and cool like he's a real life fairy tale character um Mm. so like there's but there's so much have we done nine inch nails yet no no no, i haven't um no i mean sometimes uh, what what boggles my mind and i think this is true of white snake to a degree as well the voices that these that the lead singers like have you done Def leopard yet no oh i've suggested it i do know them a little bit from my childhood i mean the height to which some of these men yeah. are sing screaming, but on a pitch, completely on a pitch, mm. is like, whoa. I mean, yeah. they're not metal, but only because I mentioned them. Journey, I mean, what's his name? Steve Perry, that's a voice. That is a, an extraordinary voice that wasn't metal, but like a Def Leppard or those or the guy from White Snake. Like, yeah, I made him listen to um Iron Maiden, you know, Bruce Dickinson that the high notes he hits are incredible. It's wild to me that they were able to do that more than three times ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, and even, and they're not metal, but like Bon Jovi, I mean, John Bon Jovi's voice went into the stratosphere and it's crazy to hear. One singer we've brought up on the show, Evans brought up on the show, have a look at him on YouTube. His name's Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> and... That's all I'm going to say. Like, I'm not going to say anything else. Just check him out and get back to me on that because you're just going to go, whoa, and then you're going to need a throat lozenge. Fair. That's fair. But his voice is just uh, an oddity. You'll hear it and go, how can you do that day after day? And he's been doing it for 40 years. And there are some people who just can. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, uh, I'll, I'll change, I'll change the world completely for a second of what we're speaking of, but like, even in the world of, of Elphaba's in Wicked, which Evan, just, you know, that's the name of the, of the Wicked Witch in the musical Wicked, right? which is the role that I played as well as at this point, the show's been on for like, I don't know, 17, 18 years on Broadway. So you can imagine a lot of women have played this role. It's a very difficult role to sing. and. Most people do wrestle with it, but every once in a while, a woman comes along who ruins it for everybody else because for some reason it's easy for her. <laughs> and you're like, no, you're ruining it. You're making us look bad. Julia, they said that about you. So I don't know Jimmy Bards, but yeah. like he might be one of those singers where like, well, people who can sing like that make it difficult for anyone else because you just can't. And it's hard, you know, after time, who, I don't know if White Snake is still singing their hits in their original keys. Oh, yeah, no, his voice hasn't held up. No, it wouldn't. It's not It's not made for that. John Bon Jovi can't sing up there anymore, uh, but he shouldn't be able to. Like after a while, the muscle that you're using, it's a very mm. small muscle and it cannot get worked out in physical therapy the way a quadricep muscle can. You can't, it's, there are things you can do, but there's only so much. 
And then there's just whatever your physiognomy is and what happens to you as you age, how often you've, you've sort of bruised it. And that's why, especially like those kinds of like hard rock and metal singers, it just blows my mind that they could do it at all. Yeah. Let alone, you know, a couple of times every, every weekend and do it around the world and just keep doing it. What's his name? Uh, ACDC. Bon Scott. Or, um, well, Bon Scott's dead, and then Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Is that who I'm thinking of? Who, like, that's a thrash. Yes. That is a thrash of a voice, but he did it. He did it for an extended amount of time. It sits in a place. Like, I'm, I'm sure when you're doing Alpha Bar, that, and especially Defying Gravity, and it is such a huge song, Evan, like you wouldn't believe. And it's, it's very much mostly just Alpha Bar commanding that whole song. It sits in a place. I'm sure that it would that it's comfortable that you're you're able to actually hit the note, but not screw up the vocal cords. Yeah, it depends on the day, frankly, uh, because also uh, to be clear, if you're on a rock tour, if you're on a, even an, on an arena tour, you're not doing your show eight times a week. We're doing our shows eight times a week. Yeah, I was waiting for that to come up. Yeah, <laughs> opera opera singers don't do it. Ballet dancers don't do it. Like it's rather inhuman and that's where you know you get into trouble that's where the the problems lay and that as much as much vocal technique as i or anyone else may have there are going to be some shows that i have no problem doing i can just sail through as long as i'm warm and taking care of myself and there are other shows that are always going to be a bit of an arm wrestle mm-hmm. uh, and and a bit of a, like i'm going to cross my fingers <laughs> and jump <laughs> And then some nights you have to be like, I'm out. I can't do the show tonight. It's, yeah. it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky little, little monster. Just uh, curious. When was the last time you sang Defying Gravity? Uh, well, that's the one I have to sing most often. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, in terms of, I, I don't know the last time I sang it was probably last year. I had to do a symphony show in Texas and I sang it there. Yeah, if, if, if I'm invited to go somewhere to do a concert, somewhere not in New York City, generally, I have to sing Defying Gravity, like, yep. even if I don't want to. That's mm-hmm. why I'm invited. It's part of why I'm invited. Look, nobody, not nobody, but like the general public doesn't know what the wild party is. And so they don't care. It's not like they're like, oh, my gosh, here she comes. She was the original in the wild party. They don't know. Yeah. So me singing a song from the wild party, they'd be like, that's a nice song. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't have the same I just did a, a solo show here in the city a few weeks ago and and I sang a song from the wild party that I had not sung since we closed since we did the show 23 years ago oh, wow. and I sang it because the lyrics of the song to me speak so much about where specifically the country of the United States of America is at right now in its mm-hmm. political uh, issues shall we say? And that's why I sang it because it felt, I felt like the lyrics really spoke to that. But I also knew that the people who were coming to those concerts, those were people who knew the wild party. So it would be special to them that I was singing one of those songs, but Defying Gravity is the one like when I finished doing Wicked, I had to almost take the song to lunch and have a sit down with it and be like, okay, we need to be friends because clearly I'm going to be asked to sing you. So yes, all these years later, I'm still singing it. It's very much a commitment. We had um, Daniel Franzese on the show who was in the movie Mean Girls. 
He played oh. Damien in Mean Girls, which was the the gay. Oh, was that like the fashionista guy? Yeah, the the real yeah. gay one that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That everyone loves, and he talks a little bit about it. That that character is always going to follow him everywhere he goes. But the truth of it is, like, while it was very difficult to do and all of that kind of stuff, in general and with hindsight, doing Wicked changed my life, a hundred percent, and. I am so grateful to it. And I mean, Stephen Schwartz, who wrote it, I knew him from before. I had actually worked with most of the people on the creative staff before the show. And I will do anything Stephen Schwartz ever asks me to do. He has been such a, a driving for and, and a hero of mine before I knew him yeah. because he wrote Godspell. He wrote Pippin. I got mm-hmm. my actor's union card doing Godspell <laughs> in a summer stock in Rhode Island. So to be part of something like Wicked is a very special thing because I've been a part of a lot of shows that were total like flops that didn't do anything to be a part of a show that is still running and that people sort of what you mentioned before, like the young, because I did the show so long ago and I was one of those sort of original witches that the young, the like 13 year olds or whatever, who were so crazy about that show back in the day when I was doing it, they are now grown and have children mm-hmm. who they're dragging to see Wicked because they're like, mm-hmm. you will love this show because I love this show. <laughs> it is that kind of a show. And it's wild to be a part of that. Yeah. And imagine. sometimes they're all interchangeable. I mean, I had a little girl come up to me in the past few years and I was singing in a concert somewhere. I don't know where I was, Illinois or something. And she said, you were my first Elphaba in Detroit. And I did indeed do the tour in Detroit, Mm -hmm. but I looked at her and I went, sweetie, how old are you? And she said, 12. I went, that wasn't me. Oh, you've broken her poor heart, Julia. You weren't born yet. (laughs) She wasn't born. And then oh. I was like, oh God, I ruined her day. I should have just said yeah. thank you and walked yeah. away. <laughs> but I I really I like I like I like facts. I like people to have the facts. Yes, me too. Yeah. Oh my God. So I don't look like a fool, basically. But anyways, I do prefer the truth. But it looks like we're shedding the white snake skin <laughs> and slithering to an ad break. <laughs> This summer, winter, spring, or fall, the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Day, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. 
much of this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the theatre's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice. Tights. We're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the incomparable Julia Murney. How are you going? Or as John Travolta calls her, Judella Mozim. Uh-uh. <laughs> Every single wicked Alpha Burrow Galinda that comes on this show is getting a John Travolta name. Not, not the rest of them, because otherwise I'll be there all day. Indeed. Because <laughs> like everyone, everyone's done wicked at some point on tour or on Broadway, London or Australia. It seems like it. Yes. Yes, and we just had our Mary Tester on the show last week. But anyways, we're going to move on because this week we're doing for the musical The Wild Party. But before Evan gives his toast, I have a quick party game. And it is called When Was the Last Time? So when was the last time you jumped in puddles for fun? It certainly wasn't in the last few months because it's when it was just winter here and those are cold puddles. So... I don't know. I can't recall. I want tabloid photos of Julia Murney jumping down the street in puddles this summer. Fair. Awesome. Fair. When was the last time you gasped when you entered a theatre? Oh, huh. Well, it's funny. This is not really an answer to the question. I have not seen Moulin Rouge yet. Yep. But every photo I've seen of the theatre of what they've done, what has made me go, whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because we haven't had really any new theater for the last two years. So it's been, it's more, I would say of the shows that I've seen since everything has reopened. Um, Most of them have been revisits for me of shows I've already seen. So it wasn't so much a gasp as it was an exhalation of, oh, there. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's back where it belongs. Yeah. They yeah. <laughs> remembered where everything went. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Back in the awkward seats of our theatres here in Melbourne. What did I see? I, I saw Aladdin in Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I saw that too. Yes, because one of my best friends is Michael James Scott, who is the genie. Oh, wow. I, I, I didn't get to see him because he had left by then. I, I came to Melbourne to see him. Oh, wow. Oh, beautiful. I really just use it. I had already seen him do it. I used it as an excuse to go to Melbourne because I hadn't been there yet. (laughs) You you don't need an excuse to come to Melbourne, Julia. It is an amazing city. I loved it. I loved it. But that's why I've spent, I spent a a good little chunk of time there. And that's why Perth is next on the stop. I want to go, I want to go west. Yep. Check out the stromatolites in Western Australia. If you can get there, they're the rocks that are the oldest living organisms on this earth. Oh, the slimy coral rocks. They're basically our ancestors, really, as you can tell by looking at Evan. <laughs> Anyways, when was the last time you danced with a random old man or old lady? Dance with a random old man or old lady. I mean, this is sort of a group effort, but I guess um, in February, I got to go to Disney World for a few days. Jealous. And there's a lot of, you know, like random small bands that play and yep. people dance around. And there was a, a grandma and her, I'm guessing, grandchild, and they were dancing. And then I was sort of dancing with them. And so oh, lovely. we sort of danced together. Oh, beautiful. 
Taylor, there's so many photos of me dancing with random old ladies on cruise ships. It's not funny. When was the last time you slammed down a phone in frustration? Well, here's the problem. We don't slam down phones anymore, do oh, we? Oh, we don't. Why do I, I live in a bubble, Julia. I have no idea what's going on outside of this. An angry place. press. It's and and I will say, as someone who lived in the time when we had landlines yep. and the slammable phone, mm-hmm. that is much more satisfying. Isn't it than just... just hitting the button on your phone on your mobile phone is not any fun. Yeah. But, but the slam, and remember on the old phones, like you could slam it down and the bell inside would sometimes ring. would sort of ring. <laughs> yep. That was like, that's right. I told them. Yep. Um, so I guess the last time I did that was probably in 1990 something or other. Yep. Probably the last time all of us did it. Oh, but anyways, when was the last time you howled at the moon? Oh, just uh, last week. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was down in Florida and yep. there was a beautiful moon and and my friends and I all howled at it. So just recently. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It feels so good. Like they say in Jerry Spring of the Opera, there is only one cure for unrequited love, chocolate and howling at the moon. Now, when was the last time you stopped to listen to the birds? Oh, that would also be last week on that trip that I took. Very yeah. Good. Because that was a lot of like moments where it was just quiet and mm-hmm. you just heard birds and yeah. a little bit of water. It was lovely. Awesome. When was the last time you screamed during a horror movie? I don't see horror movies. You don't? No. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I do not like being scared. Oh, more. I don't like being put on edge mm-hmm. of like what might happen. Mm-hmm. And and I'm definitely not a screamer like that. Even yep. when I go on, ro- I'd actually don't really do roller coasters anymore either. They've I've gotten too old. But when I did, I was never a, a screamer on the road. I would scream, but like in my head voice, like, ah! yep. <laughs> because I would always be too scared to screw up my voice, even if I wasn't in a show. Like yep. your brain is just like, oh no, don't mess up your voice. Mm-hmm. Now, um, speaking of on edge, when was the last time you avoided somebody on the street? Oh gosh. I, I don't know the last time, but it certainly wasn't too long ago, I'm wasn't sure. Too long ago, yep. Also because coming out of like lockdown and stuff, I'm not entirely prepared to see everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. Yeah. If, if I, I, I can now think of someone that I saw someone like the last couple months who I saw from afar and I didn't have the emotional bandwidth. There was nothing wrong with this person, but I knew if I saw this person, it was going to turn into a conversation on the street corner that was going to last. And it was, and I was like, I think my day is done. I don't have it. I'll, I'll, I'll get that conversation another time. I have done exactly that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> seeing like yeah. an ex coworker and. Yeah. The last time I bumped into them, we ended up just crapping on for like half an hour. I was like, I do not have time for him today. And it just yeah. went the other way. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not mad to see that person or upset or scared to see that person. I just realized I didn't have the time. When was the last time you baked something for your neighbors? Oh, two days ago. Oh, lovely. I, I, I do that a lot. Yeah. And Evan, one for you. When was the last time you showered? Because, dude. <laughs> now, lastly, now, when was the last time you watched this movie? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say when it came out. Yeah. When it came out, I, I do we do we explain to the people what you've just showed me? Yes. Uh, for those at home, I've held up the DVD for Barton Fink which is a Coen Brothers film because Julia's father, Christopher, 
was in that who is a very well-respected actor. It's true. Spoiler alert, my father gets his head blown off by a shotgun. I I can't remember if John Goodman is wielding that shotgun. I can't remember. Uh, But Evan, you would know Maximum Overdrive. Oh, I love Maximum Overdrive. My father is the disgusting Bible salesman who gets killed by the Happy Toys truck in Maximum Overdrive. Wait, yeah, he, 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 he's had enough and he walks out and he's like, you you can't do this to me. You can't do this to us. We're machines. <laughs> and he gets run down. That one. Oh, my. Is that him? Wow. Evan. Yeah, it's a Stephen King fanatic. That's why. I love like, that film. Evan. Yeah. Oh, I've, I showed, I watched it recently. I showed my wife. It's like, you've got to watch this. And film. as you, I'm sure, know, that is the one Stephen King adaptation into a movie that he himself directed. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the only one. Which is why the soundtrack kicks ass because it's all ACDC and, and heavy metal. Yeah. There it is. That's my dad. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Except I got to say, uh, of my father's resume, you have both now just pulled out probably the least discussed of all of his resumes. So I'm very impressed. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Very, Look, very impressed. We don't usually bring up people's family or anything like that, yeah. even when you know, someone's got famous wife or, or whatnot. But I thought Barton Fink really is such a deep cut. Oh, I love it. Yeah. No, I didn't do any any research into that. It was it was more there was a I saw a side note of, you know, your, your father was an actor and involved in theatre and that was about it. That was all I looked. Little did you know yeah. he was in that highlight of cinema known mm-hmm. as Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, such a cool movie. I've been... Keeping that secret for how many days or weeks now, Evan? So good. Desperate to tell you or say something about it or hint to you. But I thought, no, let's wait to get your reaction. I am I am applauding. Yeah, awesome. Anyways, moving on. We're going to do the wild party. Hey, finally. It's Andrew Lipper's version, not the, um, the blackface version, as I like to call it, which is <laughs> definitely going to get me in trouble one day. Yes, yeah, so we're not going to, let's not call the other one that. Let's not do that. <laughs> no, no disrespect to Michael John at all, because he is legendary and a genius. It is all me being a shithead. So, Evan, mm. what did you think of this musical? Please tell the leading lady. <laughs> no, that's okay. You go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, well, um, yeah, no, the first listen through, I didn't really know what to make of it. Um, uh, you know, it was, it was certainly going for a you know a 1920s feel and a lot of muted trumpets and honky tonk pianos and yeah, that you know certainly nailed the the era. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then of course I go you know what is this thing about and I start my research. Um, and so yeah, what's this? This was produced in came out in 2000, um, based on a 1926 poem by Joseph. Moncure March, um, which seemed to be a bit of a cult classic, like word of mouth, people sort of passed it around. Um, and it was in, I think, 94, Art Spiegelman saw it or read it and, and was inspired to do the illustrations for it. So he's, and because it was in public domain by that time, he was able to just reprint it with all his, all his illustrations. Now, I tracked down a cop, that copy and and did read it so i've read the the same poem as as um oh god was it andrew lipper and was it michael john how do you say lacusa so Uh they both read this same source material and decided it should be a musical around the 94 era um 
which is just nuts that this this how this even came about that you have ended up with you know two musicals of the same source material the same name both being staged at the same time it's just mental um, it is mental <laughs> <laughs> it's mental how it even happened and i love with with aaron aaron just sends me a link and goes listen to it and and then oh yeah you, you'll figure it out you know so i go on this <laughs> didn't little, say anything you didn't you don't say anything and i have nope. to figure it out yep. um and i'm you know i'm looking for pro shots and i'm looking for for clips and i'm seeing you know eartha kit and and mandy <laughs> patinkin and go what, what's going on here tony collette not the right one nope not the right one. Yeah, and then I had to figure out that. Sorry to interrupt. I've never heard that one. Yeah. Well, I again, I did listen to the other one. Oh, it's it's fabulous. It's wildly different. Yes, they wildly are vastly different. different yeah, I, I, I don't know why. After reading the source material, I feel that the well, the Mandy Tinkin one follows the text closer, and yours follows the story basically. Mm. Whereas the songs, the songs in yours are more abstract. And, and you have to, I would have loved to have seen the show. There's no pro shot. There's no, there's, there's amateur productions that I didn't really see. Yeah, there's no, there's no, it was really prior to the times when people were doing mm. like fully illegal, but really well done bootlegs. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's one, there's one recording that I don't know is on it, it, that you can find. It's of the B-roll where they come in for press and they, they film a good portion of the show, but it's only like an hour plus I've seen it and watched it, but like, sometimes they focus on weird things. You're like, no, 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 take, just stop putting it on this person. There's a whole dance number going on over there. So, I mean, it's good, but it's not the whole show. It gives you a flavor certainly, but yeah, the, 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 the two musicals are, and, and interesting that you listened to them both. I mean, I think in general, Lippa's is thought of musically as a bit more anachronistic, that Michael Johns is, is more in the style of the 20s jazz age. Mm. And Lippa's has like an electric guitar where yeah. you're like, what is that doing there? And the music, the, the songs themselves are a bit um, not of the era, but they, I mean, they both, as you noticed probably or not i don't know uh they both start with the exact same lyrics which yes, is the, yes, the uh, which is the exact opening of the poem the... and they have the same characters but the poem is not long enough to fill a whole evening of a musical so the way each one then veers off and who they uh who they magnify of the of the smaller characters are very different but um Sorry, you're not done with your review. Yeah, no, no, fair. Yeah, that's, very cool. that's why we invite you guys on, Julia, <laughs> to get the insight. And uh, it's much more interesting than anything either of us two could say. So, <laughs> uh, Funnily enough, I, I initially I dubbed this um, March of the Vibratos. It was your, your voice in some of, the, uh, some of the tracks. Just the vibrato was just stunning. It's very clever. <laughs> that's what popped into my head. It's like, this is, this is March of the Vibratos. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, yeah, Raise the Roof um, stood out. Um, yeah, there was there was a fair few songs that really did stand out, just like just musically, just as standalone songs. Yeah, Let Me Drown also stood out for me for some reason. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's more, it's it's the story. It's the story around it and and how it differs you know, from the text as well, that the sort of 
intrigued me. One thing that did bother me in the, in the original text, um, Oscar and Phil, who I assume are brothers, Oscar and Phil Domano. Now, in, in the poem, they sit down and sing a song called My Sweetie Is Gone. They even have half the lyrics of the song in the poem. And I don't think either musical used that song. That's interesting because I was going to ask you, I mean, I saw Michael John's, but I don't, uh, and I've sung a song or two from it, but I don't know that one. Um, So I was going to ask you if they sang that because yeah, we don't. And I don't know why I know I was involved with Lippa's uh, show from basically its first reading onward. And there was never to my recollection, a song that the brothers sang called anything about my sweetie yeah yeah i just found it odd that you, yeah you're writing a musical about a poem that has it has two songs in it um they sing they sing my sweet adeline as well but there's two songs in it and you don't use either of them that's very interesting <laughs> i should definitely ask that question if i think of it the next time i see either michael john or andrew yeah and just... yeah. And, and neither musical did as far as i can tell that's really funny it was weird that's weird i agree with you <laughs> But yeah, it's another one of those. Like the more I listened to it, uh, the more I the, the more I liked it. And then yeah, and then I went and listened to your album as well. Oh, that's nice. Of you. And I, yeah, you can hear that. You can hear the you know I can hear like raise the roof. It's yeah, it was an experience. It was it was great to I, I enjoyed the research of it and and the, the the story behind the two musicals together and the the poem that it came from and how that that got re. It's it's definitely a um, I don't know of any other situation where that has occurred, mostly because when someone's writing something that's based on something else, it's you buy the rights to it. So no mm. one else will, but this was public domain. Phantom. Phantom. And the, ask anyone, yeah. Phantom. Or Phantom, They're, those are both about the Phantom of the Opera, yeah, true. but that's yeah. it. Like literally the shows begin with the same lyrics. Yeah. They mm. both shows begin with Queenie was a blonde and her age stood still and she danced twice a day in vaudeville. Com- totally different melodies, totally different everything. I, w- I will say my, my one regret of that time. So there's a sort of a, I don't know what you call it, a secondary awards show in New York City called the Drama Desk uh, Awards. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Which like nominated? the Tonys are the big one and then the Drama Desks are the kind of the next one down. And um, we had already closed our production but we got the most nominations of any show that year. And the drama desks combine Broadway and off-Broadway. So um, I was nominated and I was in the best actress category and it was all of the women who had been nominated for a Tony award and me. And Tony Collette was one of those women. And so I'm at the drama desks and I'm feeling very like excited. I've never been nominated for anything. I was also nervous. It was also, oddly enough the ceremony for the drama desk that year was literally taking place in my high school in my actual (laughs) high school that's right you went to the fame school didn't you yes so that was also a part of it I was like why am I in my high school this place has got they've got to get better than this they cannot do this here but at one point she was nearby me and I just wanted to meet her I mean I admire her so much and I wanted to, you know, go up to her and be like, hi, you're Queenie and I'm Queenie. And that's crazy. And she was standing a, a bit away from me. And I was trying to get up my guts to go and say hello to her. And there was a photographer who walked by and they went, hey, Tony. And she turned and looked at them and then like struck this like silly, but like sexy pose. And they took a picture and I immediately was so intimidated 
And I was like, because they also thought, I don't know anything about her. I had not heard at that point a word about like, oh, she's great. Or she's really standoffish or anything. I, I knew nothing. Yeah. And in that split second, I thought, no, I'm having a really good night. If she's going to be like crazy and weird and make me feel badly, I'm not interested. It's like going to see a scary movie. I don't want to be put on edge. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so I walked away. Now, P.S. I will say I've never heard a bad word about her. It, it subsequently, and how I wish I had gone up and said something to her. Uh, I hope someday I have the opportunity to to say something. Yeah, she was great in the other one in Michael John's. Yes, she was. I mean, I, I wish she would come back and do more musicals because she's. But it's a lot. It's a lot of work. I would imagine Tony Collette is, you know, perhaps yeah. she lives in Australia. I don't yeah. know. And she's got her family and she goes and does movies and then goes back to her family. And, yeah. Slow um, down a little bit. Yes. I love her. I think she's, she's absolutely amazing. And it was a surprise. Oh, she's extraordinary. Because she'd obviously done Muriel's Wedding in 94, which is, is not about Tony Collette. This is about your career. But just quickly that it was such a surprise that only what, five years later, then she rocks up on Broadway out of all the things she could have done to have the career. And she chose Broadway. She chose to do that. And that, I think that says a lot about her. And a lot about her work ethic and about her commitment and her talent that she could do it. Yeah. And I think about per perhaps also her desire to yeah. like, I've never done that. Let me go do that. Yeah. And now she's checked that box and she can either be done with it or come on back. I'm sure she would be welcomed back with open arms. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, she hasn't done anything musical since, has she? No. Nah. Oh. So, you know, go, go figure. But it was, um, it was a, it was definitely a wild, event to be a part of yeah and um it's you know if if you are a musical theater goober and you know about these sorts of things it's quite famous inside its own little world and the thing that's really fortunate is that the reason the show lives on is because we made the album and that was really before most things got recorded now most things get recorded uh that was before it was dealing with digital and by digital, I mean, I mean, it was on CD, but it yeah, wasn't streaming. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's an entire sequence uh, in the show called The Apartment that is not on the album. And we knew it wouldn't be because it wasn't going to fit. It was going to make it a two disc. And so they just chopped it. We did one pass of it during the recording of the album, which we recorded all in one day. So it's fast. So we did one pass and then moved on. And now it could be different, you know, that things are just the world is different in terms mm. of recordings and things like that. But, but that album is the reason the show lives on. And, and every university in America does with a theater program, does that, does our production. It's wild, but every year they graduate and some of them come to New York and somebody comes up to me in a random Starbucks in Midtown and they go, oh, I just did the wild party in college. <laughs> and it's a, it's a great show for a college it's got a big cast it's got a lot of great singing a lot of roles and a lot of songs that let you like feel all your feelings and everybody loves that yeah a lot of very interesting characters very complicated characters yeah yeah complicated and messy and yeah everyone's um, yeah. got some kind of a weird issue which is it, oh there's yeah there's kind of no one to root for <laughs> yeah it's, it, it's that was i can see why it was so sort of controversial in in 1926 just with the content the the kind oh, of yeah. characters that they threw in there there was 
yeah, there was because of all kinds of people. Oh, look, someone only had to show their knees in 26 and they were controversial. Evan. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And they, and our show, definitely, we had some topless women at one point. So, you know, it was yeah. like that. It was like that. <laughs> yeah, did, oh, here's something I couldn't find. Do they have the fight between, I think it's Eddie and Black? Black knocks out Eddie with a bottle because Eddie was messing with Kate. That yes exists. Uh, no, we had ours had a fight between Eddie and Burrs. What did the other one have the fight between Eddie and Black? I'm saying the original poem. It was um, Black oh. knocks out Eddie with a bottle because he was. It's interesting. I have my poem somewhere. I don't know where it is on my shelf. I, I think ours had a fight. Burrs gets drunker and drunker. And he mm. starts to hallucinate a bit. And he starts thinking in our show, in our mm-hmm. production, mm-hmm. that like every woman he's looking at is Queenie, like he's not seeing straight. And he finally, um, he goes up to the character of May, who is Eddie's girlfriend, and grabs her or something. Mm-hmm. He does something because she's kissing on Eddie and he thinks it's Queenie kissing on Eddie. So he grabs her and Eddie's the one who's the pugilist. He's a boxer. Yeah. yeah. And- and Eddie proceeds to beat the hell out of him for touching his girlfriend. That's what I remember. I think I'm right. But again, it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, there's no, you know, well, other than watching, uh, other than watching, uh, you know, smaller productions. Yeah, there was no. To, to my memory, that was the one moment when I was off stage. New York siren. Woo-hoo. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting excited. Never been there. Sweetie, you understand if there's a siren. I know. It's bad. Some... Is I bad. know. I know. Okay. I know. Okay, I'm as well long aware. as we understand. I, I live <laughs> on the dark side of life, Julia. Don't worry about that. Got it. Got it. It's it's more oh. just that that vibe, that atmosphere yes. of New York City that it is. It is very it is. much sirens so anyway sorry but yes oh it's okay anyway there was a fight i just can't entirely recall yeah like yeah that's right did does he he scream keep my wife's mouth out of your fucking mouth before he smacks him bugger okay no no (laughs) anyways moving on um and what's the other i think the only thing that i I found annoying was that it it seemed to miss the the initial argument between burr and queenie um when she's asked for coffee and he's, you know, told to get it yourself, you're lazy. And and that's so so then the party is more of a revenge party for her. That's her motivation. Yes, but the whole sequence of the apartment that I was just talking about that doesn't mm-hmm. make it on the album, that's sort of where you see why she wants to screw him up, <laughs> basically. Right. Because he attacks her in that scene. Yes. And that's when you see, I, I mean, look, this is parsing hairs because of course she's a mess too. That's why I say it's kind of hard to have anyone yeah. to root for in this show. But um, yeah, in, t- in terms of the um, the party itself being thrown, yeah, it's supposed to be the apartment sequence that kind of catapults her into that song out of the blue, I think happens like at the end of the apartment sequence after he's attacked her and all this stuff. It's so funny. This is something that never occurred to me in whatever it was, five years of working on this show. And it never occurred to me till after we did it. Uh, Sometimes you just miss stuff. I had a line that was something like, I think it's in the middle of out of the blue. And I say something about 
we've never thrown a party before. We'll get blah, blah, blah. I have no idea why we've never thrown a party before. Now, today, I'd be like, why? Of course, we've thrown parties. That's mm. probably what we do. We throw debauched, fucked up parties mm-hmm. that everybody comes to. It never occurred to me during all of those years. I mean, I had a lot of things to concentrate on, but it never occurred to anybody. <laughs> like of all the people who were, you know, Lippa and the director and everybody who was paying attention, no one went, hey, how come? Nobody did. But now yes. I'm like, huh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> a line you've been singing for five years suddenly doesn't make sense. Yep, yep. <laughs> And I could, I mean, I had lots of, I mean, Andrew and I, Andrew was amazing, Lippa, in his, um, in his collaboration and his letting me share how I felt about things. He was amazing. We were very, you know, simpatico during all of that. And it was very, very special. And so had I had that question, I would not have been scared to ask it. I just never thought about it. (laughs) Like it never occurred to me. listening to a cast album, there are always going to be these bits and bobs, unless it's a full show cast album, mm-hmm. there are going to be bits and bobs that sometimes explain things or thread things or whatever that aren't there. So you learn it in a very specific way. And then when you finally see a live production of the same musical, you know, you're like, Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that happened mm-hmm. or whatever. I think that's also, I think it's probably easier these days to find out all the bits and bobs because you just go to Wikipedia, like there are things. Yeah. But back in the day, you had the cast album mm-hmm. until you saw it live. That yeah. was it. There was no YouTube. There was no bootleg. There was no nothing. If I only had the cast album to listen to, like the first time, the first listen through, I was literally going, I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the album also for you to listen to it, you didn't have, I don't, I don't recall, frankly, if our CD had this or not, but back in the day, there would be liner notes. You would have the physical album in front of you that often mm. had a synopsis of the show of what you're hearing. So you can follow uh. along and like all of that charm is gone. I used to obsess over liner notes on all albums I had. I would look at the thank yous. I was like, like, who does, I don't know, who does Paul Young thank in this album? Who are these Ooh. people? Uh, you know, like, I just, because it, it was just a whole other world. And now you don't have that as much. Didn't I get excited about the booklet in a, in a case last night ever? <laughs> For a video game. Video games came yeah. with books and they told you the whole history. It's exciting. Yeah, and I was like flicking through. It was exciting. I love it. And like programs and everything I read. But that's why I don't know a lot of shows because... I might know the CDs and know the songs, but I don't want to find out the story until I see it live. Mm. So, mm-hmm. of course, this show has ruined a lot of musicals for me because obviously I have to find out the story. Um, but Whose fault is that? That's oh, it's totally my fault. Um, <laughs> but Evan, Lacusa's mm. uh, Wild Party is now officially a musical that you've heard, but I haven't. Oh, there you go. Come on. Like I did say the other day, it was nice to hear, um, you know, Mandy Patinkin singing again after. Oh, did you? Oh, I'd switch yeah. in and out when you talk. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just being a bastard. Uh, anyways, quickly yeah. a score because we'll move on because we are running out of time. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, yeah. Like I said, I enjoyed the research and, and reading the poem and just hunting down the poem, finding a copy 
was was a digital copy that I could quickly read. You know, yeah. that, that that was difficult. You can order you can order copies, obviously, off Amazon. Yeah, I did. In, I did enjoy it. It was it's different. It's a really different sounding musical. Yeah. And you've seen The Addams Family as well, which is... Yeah, I saw a high school production of it. Another yes. musical that you've seen that I haven't yet seen. Yeah, obviously your, your voice, the, the vibrato just really stands out. It's, it's really... I don't. It, it was one of those times where I'm listening going, I know you do this eight times a week. I don't know how the hell you do this eight times a week. I don't know how I did that eight times a week either. You'd be wrecked after one. Honestly. That was written on me. And I think that's uh, the way I did was able to do that. Like everything was just part of my musculature. I, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's some sort of hitting the you know top of your range, limit of your voice notes in there. And it's like, I don't know. I just don't get how you can do that all the time. Once you jump on the train, you're on the train. It's when you get off for a week. And sometimes that train derails in the middle of your journey. And you're like, whoops, sorry, everybody. Yeah, Yeah, that's happened to me too. Yeah, it's hard to give it a score because it is just so unique. It's so different. Um, I'll I'll go three and a half. Three and a half? Three and a half. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I would, I think I would actually listen to it again. And there's not many that I would. Really? I would chuck it on again. You know, like there's only a couple like Spring Awakening I'll chuck on. I will say people, people in general uh, over these many years, uh, a very common comment that I get is it's a great album for driving in your car. Yeah. Like when you're just in the car and singing along because you could just be like, "Ah!" you know, it's just ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. And um, it's a good driving. That's been the general consensus. And again, I, I did. I enjoyed, you know, reading this the source material, um, seeing Art Spiegelman's artwork. Uh, mm, yeah, him, it's so him cool, being isn't it? The artist. Yeah, I was taking. I've got bloody screenshots of like the, the Queenie, designs. Oh uh, yeah. You know, I was going to have them up. I have a different setup anyway. That's inside where there's a TV and everything. Yeah, yeah him being the writer of Mouse, who I read. Yeah. Only last year or so, and that is amazing. Yeah that's that's moving that is you've got to what uh, watch you've got to read mouse it's really something and it, it really especially now just the, yeah now they're trying to ban it the way the world is yeah yeah the way the world is right now go mm-hmm. go read it it's yeah. pretty yeah. yeah certainly the last third of it where yeah. it gets into the nitty-gritty and you're just going oh i mean yeah i know we covered world war ii during school and they did do this but to see it from a sort of a first-hand perspective or second-hand telling of it, oh, yeah, it's 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 horrific, really is, and it's it yeah, it's one of the greatest graphic novels of all time. And he won a Pulitzer for Agreed. it, as far as I know. Did he? Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's the only graphic novel to ever wear win a Pulitzer. It's pretty great. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Well, get get your hands on a copy. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Well, it looks like the party has turned mild. <laughs> I'll grab my coat because they go into an ad break. <laughs> G'day, listeners. Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com 
forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance, hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it, a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo!
Anyways, we're back with Thrash and Treasure. Hi, Mara, and that's Evan, and we are joined by the one and only Julia Murney. Hey, Such an honor to have you on this show. Now, firstly, I've got a few questions just about your hopes and dreams for the future. I know we're running out of time. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> okay, so firstly, what's one show that's always evaded you? Scheduling hasn't worked out, or you may have gone out for, but you know, Patty LuPone got it or something. Um, well, back in the day, I would say it was Les Mis. Yeah. It was Fontaine and Les Mis. Yeah. For which I'm too old now. That's nonsense. The one that I would, I've gone up for a couple of times, would still have yet to do, but I would like to do very much is Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Oh, I meant to preface these questions by saying, and not Sweeney Todd. Why not Sweeney Todd? Because <laughs> everyone says that. Well, and I'm a shithead. <laughs> you know what? High quality is high quality. You, you can't, you can't fight it. That's all right. I didn't say it, so you got it in. It has to count. Now, would you ever Aha. do a sitcom? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, Can my I... gosh. A hundred percent. We've established on this show the throwaway nature of standing ovations. Now, what's one time you've truly felt that had my name on it or that had our name on it that night that you just felt that energy was ripe coming from that audience? It would be in those, in the... I did several of these one night concerts um, yep. for that were benefit uh, fundraisers for the actors fund yep, like hair. and yep. hair chess Love and that. funny girl. Yep. And those were the nights they were only one night. I mean, it was that, that, that was the, but they're um, they're very, uh, you are flying by the seat of your pants. They are big productions that are all put together just for this one night with a massive orchestra and often a choir. And I mean, it's madness. And so the, um, the satisfaction that uh, is felt after something like that gets pulled off and that the audience is, you don't feel like they're standing because I paid X amount of money. So standing is part of what I'm going to do. So I feel like I got my money's worth. Those concerts did not feel that way. Those concerts felt like people just going, (gasps) and that was exciting. Yeah. What's a child's part that you would love to play now as an adult? Oh, Um, oh, uh, Helen Keller in A Miracle Worker. The Miracle Worker, rather. Not A Miracle Worker, The Miracle Worker. Yeah. yeah. They could really sink your teeth into that part. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. what's your favorite Mondegreen? Now, that's a, um, a misheard lyric. Now, funnily enough, this was a question oh. <laughs> on who wants to be a millionaire today. Oh, gosh. I really have no idea. <sighs> I don't know. I'm coming up blank, which is not fair because I'm quite sure that I have some. Yeah. Well, I'll help you along. Mine is I've got two ticks and a parasite. That's definitely not it. No. Two, okay. two tickets to paradise. Yes. That's <laughs> and, who, and who recorded that song? Who recorded that song, Aaron? Um, Come on. Oh, they did. They did keeping up with business or something and working overtime. They were on the Simpsons and he's like, do that song. I don't know. I have no idea. Eddie Money. Okay. Oh, I had no idea. Sorry. I've got two tickets to paradise. Won't you pack your bags? We'll leave tonight. That's it. And here's me. I was going to say meatloaf, but that's birthday, I can see Paradise by the Dashboard no, Paradise Light. Paradise by Dashboard Light. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Eddie Money. Terman Backman Overdrive. 
Buckman. I don't know. I have no idea. I just pulled that name out of my ass. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a, a, a what's it called? The Mondegreen? I don't. I don't. I don't have one. I know I have them, but I can't think of one. I'm drawing a blank. That's right. I may have to send that one to people if I'm going to ask that one again. Send that one early. Now, Mary Tester and I want to rid the world of the term character actor. Are you with us? Because it's quite frankly a redundant term and you're all actors. I, I agree. I mean, I think the world in humanity in general enjoys uh, categories in which to put people and things because everything is so scattered and no one can keep track. But I, I think the problem with character actor is that it should be a badge of honor and mm. or a compliment, but can just as often be used as some sort of a slight in a way. Yeah. Nice. Or it can be perceived as a slight. And that's the unfortunate part of that term. And I think I mean, for me, I would just be happy to continue to make a living as a person who is called an actor. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means, whether that means physically on stage or on film or in a voice on a cartoon, whatever, or doing a commercial, like it doesn't, it's doing a concert. There are so many ways that things can fall into that category. If I'm still working and people want to call me a character actor, rock on. I don't care. Just pay me. Yeah. <laughs> if the check is not going to bounce, you can call me a character actor. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be okay with it. Yeah. I just, uh, I think it's a redundant term. And the way Mary put it, sort of I broke my heart a little bit because she goes, it, it just means you're not pretty. I don't want to say, Mary, you're fucking gorgeous. What are you talking about? Mary is gorgeous. She is gorgeous. It's As my friends and I like to say, Mary Testa is the best. Oh, amen. It's, it's I did a show with Mary called Queen of the Mist, yep. which was her show. And she was the leading lady and she was and it was written by Michael John Lacuza mm-hmm. of Wild Party fame. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she was beyond extraordinary in it. And because she hasn't been given a lot of opportunity to be the leading lady, the second banana often is called the character actor, you know, and and so I feel like someone in her position who has had that moniker put on her is 100% allowed and valid in having that kind of a reaction to it. Yeah, amen. I mean, you, you, you're all in your positions because you were stars or are stars. There's no two ways about that. And um, everyone's pretty full stop. Like, I know. It's a- people don't become famous, apparently. It's a hot mess. It is, isn't it? Anyway, sorry. (laughs) It gets me worked up. But what is your individual pet peeve within the industry? And nothing cliche, no racism, sexism, all that stuff that we all fight about anyways. What's your pet peeve? Uh, My pet peeve is entitlement. Mm -hmm. When the youngins come up and somehow seem to take a position of I deserve to be here. You do. Correct. Yes, you do. Also, look around and know how to make sure your workplace remains a happy place. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means putting your ego aside so someone else can fly. Yeah. And that takes a certain amount of maturity that um, 
is not always achieved. Mm-hmm. And so I, I definitely get a bee in my bonnet when I feel like I'm working with people who don't appreciate where they are, what they get to do and who they're with. If, unless you are standing alone on a stage in no light, singing a song without any accompaniment or just speaking words, then you're never doing a solo. You are never, ever doing a solo. At the least, if you're singing a song and someone's playing piano, it's already a duet. If there is a person up in the in the rafters putting a spotlight on you, it's a trio and mm-hmm. on and on and on and on. <laughs> and so as soon as you start to trick yourself into thinking this is about me is when you're lying to yourself. Yeah. And that makes me crazy. What's fun about it is that is for me is getting to do it with other people. Yeah. That's why it's fun. That's it. It is a a team effort. And I was actually surprised when a few New Yorkers have said that you guys don't do group warm-ups over there. No, that is not a thing. That is a very, a Europe, that is a European thing. And and here it's like, that's, that's our pre-show time together to be a team, to harmonize together and stuff. And when I was like, I was like, what, why, what, what? Not a thing. One last question. What's one yes. thing you've always dreamed of doing but have never built up the courage to do besides talk to Tony Collette? Uh, indeed. Scuba diving. Scuba diving, yeah. Yeah. I snorkel. I love to snorkel. Mm-hmm. I, I get a little worried about the the breathing apparatus of scuba, so I have never delved into that. Yeah. I've gone I've gone skydiving. I've like oh, but wow. I would never yeah. bungee. Yeah. Let's no. be clear. Yeah. Never. Okay. Yeah, that, it separates the spine. But scuba, because I I do love the ocean and I love, and when I went snorkeling uh, up in uh, Port Douglas on the Great Barrier Reef, oh, well. yeah. I, oh, I, I remember very clearly putting my face in the water and going, because oh! it was like a technicolor wonderland. Yeah, And that was the first time I ever thought, oh, I wish I could get down there and stay down there. But yeah, it just hasn't happened. So yeah, you'll get there one day. Anyway, so thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, baby. I don't. My, my dog is is going to have to be taken out in about three minutes because she's given me the eye. The eye. <laughs> Could you please give her a little cuddle for me? A big cuddle? I will. I'll, yes. I'll... You want to go out? I know. Okay. It's good. <laughs> um, she's looking at me yeah. like, come on, lady. Yeah. Yeah, um, here's, thank here's, thank here's. you so much for sitting down with us and giving us your, your valuable time. Oh, yeah. it's it's it. totally my pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you for asking me. Yeah, no, no, it's an absolute pleasure. And and um, I hope we were fittingly torturous enough. You absolutely were. But Aaron, yes, you go watch that video. Yes, I you will. Go watch I know. For the, it, Every week I say, watch the videos, and he doesn't. For the love of Tawny Katane. <laughs> yes, I will. In honor. God bless. Mm. Long live Tawny Katane. <laughs> yeah, the, the original, the original, the original video rock girl. Yeah. Video vixen. Yep. Alrighty, that's it from us. A huge thank you to Lady Julia Murney for joining us. I absolutely loved that reaction when I held up the DVD, and then Evan pulls out his quote and. Yes, that was a uh, brilliant moment. And you can find her on the social medias on Twitter at Julia Murney. That's M-U-R-N-E-Y. Or on Instagram at Peppa Mama, which is P-E-P-A-M-A-M-A. Or on JuliaMurney.com. And also check out her solo album, 
I'm Not Waiting, which I obviously name dropped in the introduction. You can find us on the social medias at Thrush and Treasure, which is Twitter, at Thrush and Treasure Podcast, as well as comment, like, subscribe, buy the Toniston Tales, read the Toniston Tales, tell your friends about the Toniston Tales and our show, comment, rate, subscribe, whatever all that jazz is, I don't know. I'm going to sit down and listen to the silence for a little bit because in the next couple of weeks we've got more recordings, which means more metal and heavy metal and new metal, glam metal, all that jazz. So anyways, you take care and we shall see you next time. Okay, so after the recording, I sat down and Evan was there, the the Zoom was still going, and I watched the video, so Evan can verify that, and all I can say is that there are many photos of me as a child, a young little four, five-year-old boy, maybe younger, maybe a little bit older, where it would show that Tawny was also the type of woman that I wanted to be, (laughs) so... I totally get it. I totally get it. She is pretty bloody cool.